All right. So following up on our conversation last week about Scorpion and specifically your, I suppose I want to say acceptance of what Voyager is telling you about Species 8472 and how their unmitigated evil that is just out to destroy everything in the galaxy. Does the fact that the Borg started the war with Species 8472 and that the Borg is all Species 8472 knows of the Delta Quadrant and the Milky Way galaxy change your interpretation of those things from Scorpion at all? I mean, yes and no. Uh, You know, the fact that it turns out that the Borg provoked it doesn't really shock me. That kind of makes sense. Um, It doesn't seem like 8472 is that interested in figuring out what these people are like. I mean, it does, you know, the species does have communication with Kess. That does, you know, we aren't exactly dealing with a, you know, if you can find one righteous man kind of a situation. Um, you know, it they, they does have some limited contact with, with Janeway and Kess and with some others. And, um, I mean, assumedly, they are also encountering other species around the Borg area. But, um, uh, I don't think they care. I don't know. Their, their, their entire ideology seems to be this whole we are biological perfection everything else is weak and lesser and must be destroyed i mean that seems like a uh i mean that that that's a philosophy that i've seen nothing that contradicts and i don't even think the show invites us to think any deeper about that it would be one thing if it said well you know, we are biological perfection and we are seeing weaker things around us. And it's our, you know, as you know, the Federation's ideology in a way is, you know, we see weaker things and it is our responsibility to protect them in some cases to help them become stronger, to help them be, uh, you know, better than they are. That's not the uh, that that's not the motivations of 8472. Yeah, I mean, certainly I think to some degree that's true, and we definitely need a better term than Species 8472 because that is a mouthful, and I cannot keep saying it during this podcast or I will go insane. Well, let me ask you uh, a pointed question. Is it going to come up again? Yes. Okay. Well, so I assume they will eventually be getting a name. No, I don't believe they do. So that's part of it. But. I, and I'm not saying that they're like a huge part of the show. I no, mean, no, I know. We we don't get like another main cast member in season six that's a member of Species <laughs> 472 as, as, as great as that would be. I, I don't know. I think that, that my I, – I started out the conversation with that question to you because it's it's interesting to me still how you don't really engage with Voyager on a – on an intellectual level. And I don't know that that's the wrong approach. I think a lot of my frustration with this show is fighting against what it wants to be. And I think we're much more satisfied with the show as it is. I don't know. It's funny because I, I feel like you've kind of trained me against that. Like, I feel there were things that I was, you know, at least initially talking about in terms of Deep Space Nine. And you, you know, said this isn't Deep Space Nine. This is a different show. And so... Okay, I began to, you know, accept, all right, this is showing me a thing. This is, you know, uh, the Federation is going to be the Federation and, you know, everything else. And, you know, with the, you know, the Borg are going to suddenly and inevitably betray us. And we understand that because it's the Borg. And even though it's, 
we are obviously going to get a much more complex view of what the Borg is. We already are. Um, it, they will still be the Borg. You know, Seven of Nine is not going to make us ultimately say, well, you know, the Borg is more moral than the Federation. We are, Our sympathies are still going to be with the Federation, but I think the uh, the view of the Borg that Seven of Nine will give us will, uh, in a way, make us question certain things about the Federation, but in a way which will ultimately re- reinforce the Federation. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I don't think that, that Voyager is a show that is really going to to question the Federation or the rightness of the Federation. But I I do, I mean, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit here because I, I do like Scorpion Part 2 quite a bit. I like the oh, two-parter yeah. quite a bit. You know, I uh, did one of those like unpopular opinions on Twitter a couple months ago, and one of my unpopular opinions was that the Scorpion two-parter is better than the Best of Both Worlds two-parter. Now, I hmm. was being a little facetious there but i i kind of kind of agree with that in in a certain sense because i think that these episodes are more entertaining and the second part hangs together much better as a second part rather than the best of both worlds part two which is frankly it's okay you know it's kind of a Hmm. letdown after the best of both worlds so um i would say i mean it clearly seems that scorpion is more of a game changer than best of both worlds was in its way. Um, yes and no, because at the end of the day, they do get thrown outside of Borg space in the next episode. So what was all that for? And what that all well, was for, of course, was to tell a story. So, yeah, but at the same time, you know, we get seven of nine now. And I know this is not the last appearance of the Borg on Voyager. Um, I mean, even though it's not the even Borg... the last appearance of Cass on Voyager, frankly. Okay. Um, I, I, I was curious about that, but I figured they can, you know, they can bring her in and around if they want to. She is ugh, an energy being now and, um, you know, she can be whatever she wants to be. But, and I um, just have to say, couldn't she give them the shuttle back? They've already lost like 17 shuttles. They're like, you know, they're like negative 14 shuttles now. So they need the shuttle basically is what I'm saying. You know something? Maybe that will be the the you know that that's the she they give them the shuttle. She gets them ten years closer to the goal. They now only have sixty years. Some gift. Well, I mean, moving aside from that, because I don't necessarily want to talk about Cass yet. Is again, Species Eight Four Seven Two is set up as the if you look at it in terms of it is just the ultimate enemy for the Borg, and that mm-hmm. this is the undefeatable enemy for the Borg. It is, it is set up in a very particular way to not ask any questions about Species 8472, frankly, because I think Janeway and then Chakotay are more preoccupied with the Borg than they are with Species 8472. Now, where I think the meat of this episode lies, and I think where I want to go with this more than talking about Species 8472, because I just don't think the show is interested in characterizing them in a yeah fashion that is fair to them frankly they are they are monsters essentially and we just have to go with that because yes they do talk to Cass and yes they do try and at least explain themselves to her but at the end of the day they are basically cancer to use your yeah. favorite metaphor and, you know, I also have questions about fluidic space and what the hell the pressure in fluidic space would be and how Voyager could even survive there without being crushed immediately. But, you know, it's all fine. It's it's we'll hand wave that away for sake of argument. I, I think that uh, 
where where the meat of this is though is coming down to something that you picked up on in last week's episode with worst case scenario putting a capper on the the maquis stuff and i think where i find scorpion part two most interesting is that this is an episode that has chakotay directly go against janeway's Mm. orders in a way which feels safe in a sense because they have put the capper on the maquis stuff chakotay's going against janeway's orders is not about him not wanting to follow the Federation way or Starfleet principles. It's kind of exactly the opposite of that, which I think is a really yeah. interesting place for this episode in particular to go. Yeah, ultimately, it, he, he he's not doing it as a fuck you. He's not doing it because, you know... I know what's best for I I know what's best for this and you know this you're making the wrong decisions. I mean, Janeway is incapacitated by for all they know she is about to die. She is not finishing the episode. Um, you know, it, it, it and I think they actually put it that way in, in Chakotay's first officer log by the way. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you know, for again, for all he knows, she, you know, He's he is in charge. He is trusted to be in charge. And even though his directive was, you know, go with this alliance as, you know, at any cost, he is in charge and he has decided that the cost might be too great. I mean, it might not necessarily have been the right decision to turn around and go with, you know, go with the Borg. I mean... Seven of Nine does turn around at the first possible moment and try to assimilate everybody. That does happen. We do, you know, kind of expect that the Borg are going to turn on them. They, the only reason they are able to, you know, get out of Seven of Nine trying to take over is because, number one, they anticipate it, and number two, it is only her. If they were in Borg space, if they did have a few more... Borg on the ship, um, if the situation were slightly different, Voyager would have been taken over. So Chakotay was not really wrong. And in a way, it is a... What gets them through is an alliance. It it is a meeting of minds between Chakotay and Janeway. Chakotay's view of we need to get as far from any Borg ships as possible with Janeway's we need to try and preserve whatever we can of this alliance while, you know, while still watching out for ourselves. I mean, that's what gets them through it. Yeah, certainly. And I, I think that what is most interesting about this two-parter and this episode in particular is that, you know, I think I said last week that, that one of the problems I have with Janeway's decision to ally with the Borg is that, you know, at the end of the day, she doesn't know anything about Species 8472. And so yeah. it seems a little... I don't know if it's necessarily out of character for Janeway. I think that at this point in the show's run, she has proven herself to become more and more reckless, I think, as the show has gone on. And and that is something that uh, has almost reached ahead at this point, even though it hasn't, because I know what happens after this. But... On the other side, there's a sort of naive hopefulness to Janeway's decision to try and broker a alliance with the Borg. And at least at first glance, it seems to work okay. You know, she yeah. she understands that she is walking a very fine line with the Borg, that they don't have any cards. You know, the Borg have all the cards. And I, I, I keep going back to 
the uh, scene very early in Scorpion Part 2 where she's on the view screen talking to Chakotay and you know he's basically saying you know you can't stay on the Borg ship and she says it's part of the agreement I have to stay here and it's just I think the acting choices that that Kate Mulgrew makes in that scene where you can really see a a scared desperation on her face you know she is not comfortable with this she realizes that she needs to do it because otherwise the alliance is going to fall apart and the Borg are going to assimilate Voyager and at the same time I don't think that Chakotay is wrong. I don't think you can really ally with the Borg. And obviously the the events that you uh, you alluded to with Seven of Nine trying to assimilate the ship prove that. As yeah. soon as the Borg weren't getting what they wanted, they were ready to assimilate everyone. I mean, in a, in a certain sense, the Borg are children. And they're, I mean, they're very powerful children, obviously, that can murder everyone. But they're still children in a sense because they do not have a developed maturity. And it, it's interesting to me that I don't know which of the two of them are right. I think that I would lean towards Chicote only because I don't necessarily think that it's right to give the Borg a biological weapon to destroy an entire species. But I think you could make the argument that it was not the right thing to do, but it's kind of the ends justify the means. Yeah, I mean... I I think I appreciate that Voyager is giving us a situation in which, you know, they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. There is no right situation. Nobody, you know, neither side is going to leave them alone. They, if they, even if they, if they don't ally with either side, they're fighting a war on two fronts, right? Like they, then they have the Borg and Species 8472 trying to destroy them. 8472 doesn't even show any inkling of uh, you know even ignoring them i mean that's the thing you know the borg at least they know that if they're not actively being a threat the borg will leave them alone for the moment i mean they can go on a borg there have been plenty of times that people have been on borg ships without the borg immediately swarming to attack so at least that's an opening at least they know something about the borg at least they I mean, I think there is a little bit of, you know, the enemy of the, my enemy is my friend going on here and these episodes showing, well, that's not really the case. That's kind of a stupid thing. The enemy of your enemy can also be your enemy. You can have two enemies. And like I said, Janeway's decision seems almost naive that she thinks that, you know, the Borg will follow through. And yes, they have, you know, code Scorpion for when something goes wrong. But again, that's only because there's one on the ship at that point. If they had, you know, if they hadn't thought quickly, if they hadn't responded quickly enough to the Borg's first attempt at assimilation, that would be it. Yeah, certainly. And I, I mean, I think that, that there's a couple standout scenes for me. Number one is is Chakotay ordering uh, the, the deck to be decompressed and the Borg going out into space. And that is obviously uh, something that I don't think we've really seen before. I, see, I think that, you know, Star Trek has always hedged its bets a little bit with the Borg and making hard decisions like that. And I think that if it had been another alien species, I don't think Chakotay would have made that decision. You know, I think if the Klingons yeah. had been uh, invading or if the Vidians or anybody, let, you know, let's use Alpha, uh, Delta Quadrant species because we're talking about Voyager. Yeah. But the other part. I mean, and part of that is because the Borg, you know, the individual Borgs, I think Chakotay, based on his experiences in Unity, un- kind of understands each individual Borg not having 
an, an, an identity or being necessary in a little bit of a way. And so in a way he's not, he's barely hurting the Borg. He's doing the equivalent of scraping off a few cells. Yeah. But I think that argument gets very problematic very quickly, but especially with yes. seven of nine as an example, of course. But, but you know, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to her. I, I do think though, that, that what is, more resonant even than that is the fact that the episode very nicely ties in the Borg's approach to leadership, the Borg's approach to to organizing its society and culture, essentially, and the way that the Federation does, i.e. individuality, and how, yeah. you know, at first glance, what seems to be occurring is that the Borg decide that they cannot trust the Voyager crew because Chakotay Mm. has gone back on the Alliance. And I think the Borg, to a certain sense, think to themselves, this would never happen if this was us. This would never happen if Voyager was assimilated. You know, we we can't be in an Alliance with, uh, you know, this chaotic group of individuals where we can't trust that the collective is not going to honor their word. And I think that's actually a really interesting take on the Borg and and sort of, you know, because one of the things about the Borg, of course, is that they don't really have a personality. And I think that Scorpion gives them one just to a certain degree. Yeah, um, the uh, I, I mean, Seven of Nine keeps saying, you know, you lack harmony, you lack cohesion, you're erratic, you know, the. You know, we say in a way the Borg are like, you know, very powerful children, but the Borg can in a way see the Federation that way. They can't make a decision. They can't all agree on anything. They can't come to a consensus. They're always fighting with each other. And, you know, again, I don't think that the show is going to have us say, well, the Borg are right and the Federation is wrong, but they've thought very cogently about how the Borg see the world. And how the Borg do see biological entities um, in a way that, again, you know, TNG never really gave us that much of the Borg, even in stuff like I Borg, you know, for example. That is very much the Federation is right, the Borg are wrong and weird, and that individuality is, you know, an inherent good. Um, yeah. Now, again, Voyager is going to come to the, you know, the end of the episode comes to the conclusion that, you know, individual individuality does not necessarily mean erraticness, does not necessarily mean disagreement, and that disagreement is not inherently bad, that, again, Chakotay and Janeway can disagree on the methods of something, but they are on the same side, and they can work together to come with a, you know, they don't need to be linked in order to come to a meeting of the minds, so to speak. And, yeah, because I, I mean, I, know, I, I think that what it comes down to really is that the, the Borg think, how can you get anything done without a collective? Yeah. And, and the Federation think, without individuals arguing with each other in good faith, how can you know that what you're doing is right? Yeah. And those are two fundamentally incompatible worldviews. And it's also new information for the Borg, I think, that we did not know about or we did not even really consider before that that they have a worldview. And I think that what's going to be interesting to see going forward, of course, is where Seven of Nine goes. And we'll talk about her a lot more in The Gift. But... The other part of it, too, is that 
you know, the episode does hinge on this Scorpion code. It does hinge on Chakotay rejoining, yeah. not a collective, but of a collective of two. I mean, that's kind of funny, but it is what it is. And, you know, it's it's almost like he's trying to confuse Seven of Nine enough yeah. to, to get her to stop what she's doing. And it works, but it's also very interesting that Seven of Nine doesn't necessarily pick up on that, that that's what they're doing. Yeah, and, you know, it's... I, 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 I think Chakotay, based on experience, is obviously the best one to do that. And the one who is able to... Uh, you know, has he has the most experience, so maybe he can mask a little bit. I mean, partially you might think that Tuvok might be a little better of a uh, of a candidate for that as somebody who does have stronger mental discipline. But it is a nice callback in that way, and I don't know. There is keep in mind that Seven of Nine has never uh, linked with another human being before. There aren't any other humans, and so it, it, there it, it is a little bit of a shock. I am sure every time the Borg uh, assimilate a new species, there is a bit of a it's like updating the firmware, right? Like every, every, some new stuff is coming online, new methods of thinking. It takes a couple of you know, it takes a little time for that to be you know integrated into everything else yeah yeah i think that's right and i you know i do want to say too that that i don't necessarily i mean i'm not saying this is a perfect episode by any means i I do think that there are some um, narrative coincidences that that are a little facile you know i think that janeway uh getting out of the picture by being injured and then magically getting fixed 20 minutes later is is pretty lame uh, I also think it's hilarious that that they're able to locate a record of someone whose name they didn't even know and, and go, oh, yeah, her name is Annika Hansen, and, and she left <laughs> from Deep Space 3 and 20 years ago or whatever the hell it was, and her parents were free spirits, and they didn't believe in the Federation, but they were explorers. And you're yeah. like, how did you even find this? Like, what? There's a few questions I have from that, but it's the, it, it is the kind of thing where – I mean, this show is coming into, is being run around the time the internet is beginning to be as we know it now. And so you do, you know, you do have the beginnings of the nitpicky fan culture, but it also still does have a foot in people are just watching TV and they're just going to watch it and they're not going to obsessively rewatch it. And you are going to just accept a plot point and not think about it, you know, because, yeah, you know, Janeway being away and then coming back is one of those storytelling things for a very particular point that you really only think about when you're thinking about it the next day. Kind of, but I, I mean, I thought about it as it was happening, but then again, I'm watching this in a very particular way. (laughs) And you've seen it before. All right. Well, I I think that, that we, I mean, there's more to say about seven of nine. There's more to say about the Borg, but the, the gift is, is I think also going to have a lot of that in there. So let's move on to that episode. Uh, But before we do that, we do just want to take this opportunity to remind all of you that Trekabout is listener-supported. If you like what we do and would like to give us a little bit of your money each month, you can do so at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, and thank you. All right, so to start out with the gift, I want to talk about Harry Kim. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Here's the thing. I have never, and I think that you may have questions about why it was Jennifer Lean that left the show. Um, I don't know, frankly, why they made the decision. I have heard all sorts of different things. 
I don't know which one to believe. Uh, the the most realistic, I guess. Um, so Voyager was not doing great in the ratings. It was doing okay. It was not exactly lighting up, you know, the television landscape. But I mean, Deep Space Nine hadn't been. I, I mean, certainly not to the degree that the Next Generation did. No, but you do have to remember that Voyager was the flagship show of UPN. Yeah. And okay. so it was, and it was also designed to be more accessible than Deep yes. Space Nine. I don't think Paramount necessarily cared that much about Deep Space Nine. I think as long as Deep Space Nine wasn't losing money, they were like, do what you want. With Voyager, it was much more visible that it wasn't doing as well as they were hoping. And, you know, UPN also failed eventually. Like, it's not around yeah. anymore. So this was not an unfounded fear on UP, or on UPN and Paramount's part. So, you know, we didn't talk at all about the Harry Kim subplot in Scorpion Part 2 where he was ill and then got fixed. And that was kind of an escape hatch, as I understand it, that Brian and Braga wrote into the first part of Scorpion. Because mm. they actually weren't sure who they were going to get rid of at that point. And it could have been the case that Harry Kim was going to die of this illness and he would have left the show. That obviously did not happen. And the the best I've, I've, you know, I've intimated about this before, but the best thing or the best, most reasonable, uh, most believable thing that I've ever heard is that it was down to Garrett Wang and Jennifer Lean leaving the show. And Garrett Wang got picked as people magazines like one of their 50 top sexy people of 1996 or whatever (laughs) and for a show and for a network that needed as much yeah cachet you know publicity as they could get they didn't want to write him out of the show before that reason and that was why jennifer lean left it was never on the table that anybody else left I, i think that the writers felt like I have seen stuff that the writers felt like they didn't really know what to do with Cass, which I find incomprehensible because I think yeah. she got some of her best stuff in the third season, frankly. Both as a character and again as an actress, I think she was doing some really awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they I, I assume probably financially they didn't have it in them to add another character to add seven of nine without cutting somebody else then yeah i mean that that's part of it too that they could not afford to add another main character without cutting someone else and so at the end of the day here goes jennifer lean and i think the gift is a good send-off for her Mm. i think that it honors her journey in the three seasons of the show and i like it i don't like the fact that Cass is gone though and i think that Cass leaving the show and not Harry Kim is may maybe was in the best interest of UPN, but it wasn't in the best interest of the show. And I think I have to be very clear about that because it's been three years. Who is Harry Kim? Yeah, no, I, 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 I am completely with you. I barely notice Harry Kim when he's doing anything. He isn't that dynamic of a character um you know i Kess- think he's had three of his own episodes in and three a lot seasons of, and a lot of them sucked i mean there was the episode with the mosquito ladies that was a great time like uh. they don't they don't know what to do with him uh that at this point his 
you know, it, uh, in a little bit of the initial series of the show, he was kind of the, you know, the crew puppy, right? Like, he was younger than everybody, he was everyone's little brother, you know, all of that, but especially given that, you know, Tom and Bellana are having their plot line, they don't really deal with Harry that much anymore. No one really, you know, he's coming into his own shore as an in- as a bridge engineer, you know, and and doing what he does, you know, he is fine at his job. Um but he doesn't need to be in the main yeah. credits. I mean, that's what it really comes down to is that Voyager He's... has too many main characters. Voyager has nine main characters. And even with Kess leaving at Seven of Nine subbing out or swapping out for her, they still have nine main characters. You know, Harry Kim is like how O'Brien was in Next Generation, right? Like, that's, I think, a he's somebody that we check into from time to time. Occasionally, he'll get his own episode. He's somebody we know and we like, but he's not one of the major characters. And yes, in Deep Space Nine, O'Brien grew into his own. He became very much a integral presence of that. He, But that was... As much because of his relationships with people like uh, Bashir, for example, um, O'Brien became became a good part of that cast. I don't think you know, but he was he was a tertiary member of the uh, 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 um, of the Next Generation See, cast. Yeah, no, That's he certainly how- was. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, I think that like Mila Garrick's nanny from DS9 probably got more characterization than Harry Kim has gotten in three years. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty damning. And I I think what it really comes down to for me is it really speaks to the fact that I don't know who to believe anymore about this. I mean, I think that there's somewhat of a critical consensus around a lot of the, you know, production and writer's room shenanigans from TNG. I think the same is true for DS9. I think that for the most part, a lot of the people that worked on the production side of Voyager are much more tight-lipped about what exactly their motivations were for doing things. And I don't know why that is. I have heard that Voyager was not a very happy place to work. I have heard that the writer's room in particular was was unpleasant. And I have heard this from, well, not me personally. I have never talked to these people. But I have read, <laughs> read that uh, Brian Fuller, for example, uh, said this. Uh, Ronald D. Moore said this in the brief time that he worked on Voyager after he left DS9. And so I don't know if it's just a protection. I don't know if it's people misremembering things. I don't know if, frankly, they don't want to talk about it because it dredges up unpleasant memories. I don't know, but it it, it makes discussing this difficult because, you know, one of the things that we do on this show is, of course, we talk about the production stuff that was going on. And it's kind of a mystery as to why they made this decision. You know, they say, we didn't know what to do with Kess. This is also from the same person who said they didn't know what to do with Suter, for example, right? I mean, Jerry Taylor made the decision at the beginning of the third season when she took over the showrunner position to kill Suter because she didn't know what to do with him. That is very odd. And here's the thing. You just get Kess and Suter to be good friends and possibly date, and that's a really – that's an interesting path for the both of them. But um, So here's one of my questions, though. Um. Was Seven of Nine intended to be a cheesecake character? Because I know a lot of the... Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, I wonder, and Kess is very much not that kind of a character. Like, I can't 
see her ever growing into that role. They're obviously putting, you know, a hot chick on the show to get some viewers. And again, based on the responses I've heard from straight guys who've watched the show, you know, mission accomplished. Um, could it have been as simple as we're putting a woman on the show? We have to subtract a woman out to keep the balance. It it possibly could be. I I think that 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 actually clarifies something for me, which is that Seven of Nine is actually a very sober character. Seven of Nine is a very serious character, and I like the character of Seven of Nine quite a bit. I so think far, I find her fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I think she's one of the finest characters in all of Star Trek, actually. And I also particularly like their her relationship with Janeway, and I think that. She was good for the. Sh- I think she was good for the show. I don't know if she was good for some of the other characters, but we can get to that when we start seeing where Voyager goes later. What I think is interesting about what you just said, though, is that you're right. Like the character and the actress are very serious, and they are taking the character very seriously. But they have her poured into this ridiculous cat suit. That's number one. And then the other part is. Okay, it came down to two different characters. It came down to Harry Kim or Cass. They chose to keep Harry Kim because he was one of People Magazine's sexiest men alive. So there was something in Paramount's mind about sex appeal, and they did not want to get rid of all the sex appeal that they could. And frankly speaking, Jennifer Lean, uh, while I think the character was good and maybe they didn't quite know what to do with her and some of those reasons could be somewhat true, I think ultimately ultimately it came down to the fact that Kess was not as sexy as Harry Kim. Yeah, and I mean, maybe even there is part of, you know, the actress was told, okay, can you make your character, you know, we're going to make you sexier and she didn't feel comfortable with that. That's possible too. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, you know, this also, I guess, is a good opportunity to briefly discuss what happened to her after she left Voyager, because, you know, she does make, uh, you know, at least one more appearance on, in the show. I won't say how many appearances she makes, but she does make at least one more. And, uh, you know, she was in a couple of movies. I think she did some television, and then she rapidly dropped off the face of the earth. And uh, as of this recording, she has been arrested. She has been, you know, she she's not uh, doing well. And it's a shame, but I don't necessarily think it was Voyager's fault, but it, it still is a shame, I think, because the the gift is a really good send-off yeah. for her and, and highlights exactly what I like about Cass and the fact that I think most people don't, I think a lot of people hate Kess because they're expected to hate her. And I think a lot of people hate Neelix because they're expected to hate him. And, and I love Neelix, but. <laughs> right. So at the end of the day, you know, this is an episode that is is less an episode of television and more a peace moving episode. And mm. while I think it's quite good, I don't know. It's hard to say where any of this is going. Well, I mean, number one. What is striking me about these episodes is that this is much more closely serialized than we have seen Voyager. Now, again, a lot of that is moving pieces. A lot of that is making a transition into where the rest of the show is going. And, you know, we're adding a new character. We're getting another character out. We're changing the physical location of space we're in. We're having certain different themes appear. We have a new showrunner. Now, this is uh, Brandon Braga's tenure, right? No, no, this is still Jerry Taylor for okay. one more season. Okay, sorry. Um, 
so, you know, I, I expect that that will calm down maybe in the next episode or the episode after that we will be back to business as usual, but with just another character now. Um, but I don't know. I found this to be an interesting – I mean this is all a character episode, right? Like this is – equal parts of Seven of Nine and of Kess and contrasting their two journeys and where the two of them are. Uh, Seven of Nine, in a way, is just beginning a journey and Kess is not finishing, but finishing this chapter of her existence. Uh, And, I don't know, I like the parallels that it is setting up between the two. In terms of an episode as a story with a beginning and middle and end, no, this isn't one of the most... uh, distinct episodes we've had but still it's doing something i think a little different i think essentially what you have is an episode that begins with an ending and ends with a beginning yeah it's a riff on you know one character dying and then another character being born in a way now i i I will say that that i think that the show does get rid of Kess a little abruptly i don't generally think that they i don't know that it would have worked if it had been drawn out any more than it has i mean obviously they weren't even sure which character was going to leave when they finished the season so they, they couldn't even draw it out you know but what's interesting to me about the gift is that it's very it it honors everything that Kess has done in the past yes. three seasons it honors her emotional journey. It honors her relationship with Neelix. It honors the relationship mm. she had with the doctor and Janeway. It, it, and, and Tuvok. It, it tells us where she's going in terms of her mental and, and, you know, psychic abilities. And it really does, in a certain sense, fulfill the promise of the character and caretaker, which was a person who wanted to see the universe, who felt like she had a lot of promise, which felt like her species was being held back by the caretaker. And she was right. And it's it's nice to see. Yeah. I mean, this is a, you know, looking back, we've seen a couple of, there have been a few episodes which have uh, foreshadowed this. Um, the one episode where we meet the other caretaker and she sets the, uh, the botany area on fire um in darkling where she meets up with this fella and they're thinking you know she's thinking maybe this is where i want to go i'm going to explore this you know the galaxy this way but ultimately decides that while i'm going to leave voyager at some point it's not quite ready yet um i mean i i i i think we have had you know kes has made some explorations and said, no, this isn't the right place to leave. This isn't the right time. This isn't the right way to do this. And now she's at the point where she has finally figured out kind of her path. And you're right. You know, it does honor where she's been and where she is going. And, you know, I, I, I think they do well in this being her decision on her own terms. Maybe not the terms that everybody would want, but, you know, again, that scene when she's talking to Janeway and, you know, Jameis says, listen, I'm not going to stop you, but yeah, I am going to argue. I'm going to try to get you to stay. I'm going to argue against it. But, uh, but uh, you know, that's more for Janeway's, you know, personal reasons. That's more because Janeway does want to keep Kess close to her. At the same time, she knows that, you know, if Kess is doing the right thing, if this is the right thing for Kess to do, she goes with Janeway's blessing. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I think that that while Janeway and Kessa's relationship had sort of become a backburner relationship in the show, I mean, we did not see them together very much. They didn't share a lot of scenes together or anything like that. I think Janeway really likes Kess, and I think you see that in this episode. And Kess really likes Janeway. Now, the other part, of course, is that uh, uh, Kess and the Doctor have this very strong relationship as well, and they don't really get a chance to say goodbye, which is kind of interesting. That feels both poignant and like a missed opportunity, but uh, in a way, I think the missed opportunity is part of the point. You know, she doesn't entirely have control over her journey at this, you know, at this. She is changing into something else. And while she can hold it off for a little bit, you know, ultimately it's happening whether she wants to or not. And she can't delay it indefinitely. She can't say goodbye to every single person on the ship. She can't, you know, what Matt, you know, she does a, she is able to have a proper goodbye with Neelix you know, she sees Tuvok one last time, and that's it. Yeah, pretty much. And I, I do want to talk about that scene with Neelix because I think it's probably the standout of the episode. But oh yeah, you know, yeah, I think I think you're right. The other thing I'll say about that is that for for me, what it comes down to is that the gift is is less of a goodbye and more of a see you later. Yeah. You know, if she had died, obviously, I think this would have been a much different episode, and it would have played very differently and would have been written very differently. Yeah, yeah. I think it was very likely that she would have gotten farewell scenes with the doctor and Tuvok and Elix and Janeway and Tom Paris, but she doesn't, you know, she's, she's going away. She's giving them a gift and that as well, I think is a brilliant way to end the episode where Kess gives them what she is able to give them the thing that they want the most. And she sends them 10 years closer back to to the Alpha Quadrant. I I think that's also just a a brilliant little piece of of writing there. Yeah, I mean, it's not impossible that the series will end with Kess in her final form as a new caretaker sending them the rest of the way. I mean, I don't know, but that's that's a possibility now. Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, that doesn't happen, but uh, I think that I want you to retroactively go back in time and write the Cedars finale of Voyager because that's much better than what we get. But (laughs) anyway, we'll get to we'll get to that in about a year. Well, let's talk about um, Neelix and Kess then, because while the show never really was, I don't think the show was ever really sold on them as a couple. And they broke up when Kess was you know, uh, uh, captured by the guy and then they never really went back on it, even though it wasn't actually her that broke up with Neelix. Cause I guess they realized that that relationship had reached its course. I like this scene a lot. Yeah. It really shows exactly why those two were together and it shows that the growth that Kess has gone through, but, but also the growth that Neelix has gone through. Yeah. I mean, the two of them, do deeply love each other. I have are extremely close. I mean, this hasn't this probably as you said, we haven't seen Janeway and Kess too much, but we also haven't seen Neelix and Kess too much. And, you know, they probably have met a bit, but um I mean they come to they come to a uh, to a place of mutual respect for each other. They have, you know, their time together, they both, I think, tre- treasure that very much. They recognize that, you know, they were only going to spend a part of their journey together. Uh, but that doesn't, that in a way makes it the more precious. And that I think they, you know, if Kes had stayed on the show, she and Neelix would have gotten into 
an adult relationship of being very good friends in that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Well, you know, I don't want to move on from Cass because I never want to move on from Cass. Yeah. She she's quickly became one of my favorite characters on the show, but we do need to grapple with Seven of Nine because here is the new character. And are you intrigued by her? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Again, knowing that as you, I, I, I think that clarified when you said that, you know, when you said there was kind of a difference between uh, Seven of Nine and the actress in the cat suit in a way, uh, because I did not expect that much from Seven of Nine before watching her now. Again, I figured she would just be, you know, sexy, sexy, sexy walking around and, you know, not much else. And the fa- I, I, again, I don't know where she's going to go. Now she is much more human. But um, I think they're doing a lot of interesting things with her. As I said, they're giving us a perspective on what it is like to be Borg in that we have never had before. Um I like that. Yeah, because this is this is essentially if Hugh had stayed on the Enterprise, although different because I think Hugh was a lot more willing to go. I mean, Seven of Nine is kicking and screaming the entire way, you know, and part of that is due to the difference of tones between the two shows. But Hugh, kind of, I think, a little quicker gets okay with the idea of individuality, of making friends, of those kinds of things. And in some ways, Seven of Nine, uh, I'm getting some addiction themes coming from her. I mean, she is somebody who is, even though, you know, we are in Star Trek, being a Borg is bad, right? It's at least scary and a little fucked up. And, you know, being a human on this starship with all these nice Federation friends is a lot nicer. And yet... You know, Seven of Nine is doing everything she can to want to get back there. She is refusing every nice thing people are giving her. She is, you know, I I loved the scene in which, you know, she's saying to, you know, Janeway, well, you know, if I became, she basically says, when I become human, then will I have enough autonomy to go back and join the collective? Like, in a way, she's only getting clean so and going through rehab so that way she can go back in the gutter because at that point it will be her choice, you know, not the addiction and, talking. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is that Janeway doesn't answer her question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Janeway very pointedly says, well, I don't think you'll want to. And then she just trails off. Yeah. And th- again, that's why I say that, you know, she's questioning the Federation, not in a way which is going to make us lose sight of the Federation, but that is a pretty piercing question to say, you know, you say that humanity has autonomy and independence you want to give that to me but you're also saying there are certain choices that you are not letting me make uh because you know for my own good and doesn't that contradict what you're saying and you know it's not one that you you know i think it's it's the kind of thing where i think janeway could say that doesn't pass the sniff test you know it is different but I think it is very difficult for her to articulate exactly how it's different because it is very it, – it is maybe something inarticulable as why you can't use your autonomy to join this collective. Well, you know, I, I disagree with you a little bit. I think that Janeway could actually very easily – articulate why but but i don't think she could do it in a way that seven of nine would understand that's fair yeah 
you know, because what it comes down to is that, and I and I, I want to be clear that I think that Janeway is right on in this episode. Oh, yes. I think that, you know, I don't think you can willingly join the Borg, just as I don't think it's it's wrong to disconnect someone from the Borg Collective. I mean, you know, let's not forget that Annika Hansen was a small child yeah. who was assimilated by the Borg when she was a small child. She had no choice in the matter. And this is, in a sense, rescuing her from her kidnappers. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think... And, and if the deprogramming is going to take a long time and is going to be very difficult and is going to be very uncomfortable for Seven of Nine, I think that ultimately what's going to come out on the other side of it is a person who is grateful to Janeway for making that choice for her. No, I know. And you read about people who were, you know, child soldiers or were in gangs when they were very little and how difficult it is to escape that life and how that kind of programming in a way is so strong in them and how difficult it is to, you know, retrain people in order to join a normal society, quote unquote. But, you know, at the same time, being a child soldier is bad and being the kind of an adult who was a child soldier is somebody that needs a lot of help, you know, yeah, being somebody yeah. who was a Borg, even though she understands her life and her place in that society, is bad. Again, I don't think that the show is going to make me fully say, well, you know, being in the Borg was a good thing. You know, it's better than the Federation, just as, you know, we never view that about the Dominion. But, of course, at the end of DS9 is the understanding that... You know, the Dominions are, the Dominion is going to change, that the founders are going to evolve psychologically, at least. Uh, I don't know if the the Borg will ever get that. I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that, I mean, at the end of the day, that, that doesn't happen in Voyager, and we'll see, I guess, if the Borg ever appear on Discovery. Let's hope not, but... I think that uh, this is probably where the Borg are going, right? That yeah. that Seven of Nine is going to be the way in which Voyager makes its mark on the Borg. And it's it's interesting to me, too, because this episode has a lot of nice little touches in it. I mean, this was written by Joe Minoski, uh, who I think has a really good understanding yeah. of writing really good character stuff for these people. And, you know, he wrote a lot of really good episodes for TNG, cut his teeth on TNG. I think Voyager was really lucky to get him on staff, frankly, and this is a really good episode. Interestingly enough, Brian Fuller was originally slotted to write this episode, and uh, this, I think, was the season that he came on staff as a writer. So that's we'll see what happens with that. I don't know. After I, 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 I know Discovery was only so much Brian Fuller, but you know, I I'm not looking forward to his episodes. I will say, um, and. I think Minoski does a very good job of imagining what a very alien mindset is like. Again, we get, I think, a very clear idea of what at least Seven of Nine's thought processes are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I think that what Joe Minoski is doing with his script is really is really interesting because essentially what he's doing is he is grounding a lot of the cast stuff in her history and the history that yeah. she has with all of the other characters. He is a man who has done his homework on this show. And then what he's doing with Seven of Nine is exactly the opposite. He is grounding the character of Seven of Nine in all new relationships. Mm. And he is providing that same level of emotional resonance, I think, for Seven of Nine that 
he gave to Cass. Yeah, I mean, uh, I and I really like the way that uh, Jerry Ryan is the actress's name. I like the way she's playing it both as, you know, emotionless, having emotions that she's trying to repress but not doing a good job at all of, um, having all of this be very new to her, having all of this be, frankly, a little terrifying to her. I mean, that... I love the, you know, in Scorpion, every time she says, well, we are Borg, like, it's a little terrifying, and then when she says it in this episode, it's just absolutely pathetic and heart-wrenching because, you know, it means nothing now, and at the same time, she is, you know, angry and furious at Janeway, but she's also extraordinarily intrigued by her because she has never you know, had anybody interact with her in this kind of a way. Everything has either been, you know, the collective or utter terror or her unremembered parents. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Well, uh, two other things that I want to briefly mention uh, before we wrap this episode up is, uh, A, I love the little touches Jobanowski puts in this episode, specifically Harry Kim trying to make small talk with Seven of Nine <laughs> as she is helping out on engineering, which is exactly the right way to use that character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I just have to point out that, that you know, a lot of what we were talking about is characters growing and changing and becoming things that they weren't. And I love the line that Janeway has when she's talking to Tuvok. And she says, I've got an Ocompen who wants to be something more and a Borg who's afraid of becoming something less. Here's to Vulcan stability. <laughs> yeah. It, again, it goes with uh, why is Tuvok not her first officer? You know, I like the Tuvok and Janeway relationship and it is a nice part of the show. Uh, again, I, I maybe these characters never became quite as iconic as the next generation did. Maybe they're not as deep as some of the characterization in Deep Space Nine, but I like these characters, and when their relationships are firing, I think they're doing very they do very well. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think that's a good place to leave this episode. All right, well, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes, Voyager, we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, follow us there. Truckaboutshow is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review for Truckabout. It is the best way for new fans to find us. All right, next week, we continue into the fourth season of Star Trek Voyager by talking about Day of Honor and Nemesis. Not Star Trek Nemesis, just Nemesis. Nemesis.